Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Wrap us in the arms of your love, holy God, for we need to feel your healing touch as we gather to worship you this day and hear your word proclaimed. Humble our hearts, teach us patience, and teach us, touch us with kindness. Open our eyes that we may see ourselves as you see us. Open our hearts to your Holy Spirit of gentleness that our words may be true and our love may be pure. Bind us in a love that does not fail or fade, that we may bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things in your love which never ends. Amen. A reading from the prophet Jeremiah, the first chapter, beginning at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Here ends the reading. Please join me in a responsorial setting of Psalms 71, verses 1 through 6. For you, O Lord God, 
are the one I long for. Through you have I been upheld ever since I was born. A reading from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 13th chapter. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a nosy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or ignorant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. Here ends the reading.
gospel lesson from Luke chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. Listen with me for the word of God. Then Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that you that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was clean except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. What is Bangladesh? That was the correct response for Final Jeopardy several nights ago. What is Bangladesh? Now, I want to read for you what the clue was for Final Jeopardy. The clue was, the only nation in the world whose name in English ends in an H. It's also one of the ten most populous. Did you know it? The reigning champion, Amy Schneider, she didn't know it. A lot of people didn't know it. My son Connor knew it. He is a geography and history whiz. And he figured it out. He thought to himself, okay, one of the 10 most populous countries in the world, probably a country that was once a British colony. So that got him thinking about India and parts of Southeast Asia, and then he quickly targeted Bangladesh. Now me and some others in our household, we were trying to sound out some countries' names, ending in H. Canada. No, that's not it. Russia. No, that's not it either. You know, you can do so well in Jeopardy, but then you can lose it right at the end in Final Jeopardy. You can be doing so well, and someone might say, oh, just stop now. Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> just stop. As I was sounding out countries... I was saying to myself, Mark, just stop talking. I, I wonder if on that day in the synagogue, when Jesus was speaking, if some of his friends and family were saying to themselves, oh, Jesus, just stop now. J just stop. <laughs> because it had been going really well. 
Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, as was his custom. And he read from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. And the people responded really favorably to what Jesus said. They were amazed at his gracious words. A couple turned to each other and said, hey, isn't this Joseph's son? Wow, he's amazing. We're so proud of Jesus doing so well, speaking in synagogue. Good for him. It was going great. But then Jesus kept on talking, and the mood shifted. Jesus started talking about how prophets are not accepted in their hometown. And there he was in his hometown speaking. And he started talking about God's graciousness being for even people who are beyond the original Hebrew covenant. Now, not to get lost in the weeds of this story, but Jesus names a few particular Old Testament stories that are not what you would consider some of the greatest hits. I mean, Jesus, speaking in the synagogue, he could have talked about King David. He could have referenced Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. None of that. Naaman, the Syrian officer. Naaman, who was struggling with his skin condition, he was told to go into this dirty river to duck himself seven times and that he would emerge clean. Jesus mentions that story. And the people were outraged. They were incensed. They were so upset. In fact, the Greek word used, thumos, we interpret it as rage or sort of this passionate violence and anger. They were overwhelmed to the point that they drove him out of the synagogue where just moments before they were praising what a great job he was doing. They drove him out, out of the town, and they wanted to push him to the edge of the cliff where their town was built because they were going to shove him off the cliff and be done with him. In many ways, this story is a precursor to the cross where people's response to Jesus is, let's get rid of him. I think this story says to us so much about God and about the human condition. And I want us to reflect on this together. Because when we read stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John about Jesus, we are getting a glimpse into God, God's character, God's activity in the world. When we listen to Jesus, when, when we watch what he does, we are getting a sense of what God is doing in the world. Jesus, at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, spent time out in the desert being tempted by the devil, and he passed the test. Then we see him beginning this public ministry where out in the open he is proclaiming the kingdom. And he's got much work to do. He still has a lot of parables to teach. He still has disciples to call and to mentor. He has people to heal. He has his body and blood to give. You see, it wasn't time for Jesus to end 
this public ministry. He couldn't have just been hurled off that cliff that day. He had work to do. God's purposes in the world would not be thwarted by the mob. Now, just to be clear, when I say the word mob, I'm not talking about organized crime. I'm not talking about the family business. I'm talking about when people are incensed, rage, when rage comes upon people and when they respond in this group to bring violence, to bring about the thing that they think needs to happen. God's mission in the world would not be thwarted by humanity's mob mentality. Jesus had work to do. And you and I are called to be involved in that work today. You know, oftentimes we think of Jesus as meek and mild. It's really the only time in the gospel narratives that Jesus describes his own nature. Meek and mild is oftentimes the translation. We think about in basketball the player who doesn't go diving for the loose ball, who gets boxed out for the rebound. We imagine Jesus may be one of those players on the court. That's not who he was. It's not who he is. You see, when they tried to push Jesus to the edge of that cliff, Jesus emerged. He made his way through the crowd and he got loose. He wasn't just being passive along with the whims of other people, he was focused on his mission. And that's good news for you and me today. I think at the same time, this story says to us a great deal about human nature. Why is it? Why is it that sometimes we respond to a situation that bothers us with rage? Oftentimes when we read in the gospel narratives where Jesus is teaching or preaching we get the sense that the disciples don't get it. They don't understand. They seem foggy, two steps behind. I think in Luke chapter 4, that's not the case at all. I think they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. They hear Jesus reflecting upon these stories from the Old Testament about God's graciousness being for all people including people who you would not anticipate. And there's a need to be cleansed, like Naaman was cleansed. You know, people don't like being told, you stink, you're filthy. People don't like being told that. And so, in response to hearing the truth about their need to be cleansed, about God's graciousness being so far and vast, Instead of acting in a holy and faithful way, the people acted out of rage. Now think about this with me. We have seen the mob many times, it seems, in recent years, but also going back in history. These are times when people are so incensed because they look at something and in their perspective, it's not right. Things should be different. 
And they think it's their job to insist that things be changed immediately, even if violence is required. And in order to enact this, I'm going to pull you along with me and you along with me, and let's get a few more people because we're going to use force to insist on our own way. A mob mentality only sees that viewpoint as the exclusive and only possible correct answer. A loving viewpoint, however, would want to see God's perspective on the situation. How many times are we motivated by the mob instead of being motivated by love? I think the vision that the Apostle Paul shared with the Corinthians is a beautiful one that we need today, perhaps more than ever. You know, we may speak with human eloquence or angelic ecstasy, but if we don't have love, says Paul, it's nothing. All the words that seem to fumble out of our mouths, they're nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And you don't need to be a jazz drummer to know what those awful cacophonous sounds are. They're a distraction. They're not in rhythm with what God wants. It's such noise that gets in the way of what should have our attention. Paul says, you may look the part and sound the part, but if there isn't love deep within you that's being reflected in what you say and what you do, how can we tell the difference? How can we tell the difference? Because there are a lot of people out there who are a part of the mob who claim to be right. Well, Paul gives us some incredibly helpful tools. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It doesn't insist on its own way. Think about this the next time you respond to something happening out there in the world, maybe here locally in our own community or something you see on the news. How are you going to respond? Will you respond with rage or with love? Responding with rage looks like this. You say to one person how upset you are, and you get another person to join with you in your anger. And you start to insist that we need to take down someone, something, in order to make things the way you think it ought to be. But if you notice something that's not right and you respond with love, it looks different. It means you're prompted to listen it means you're prompted to show compassion and care, especially for people who are suffering. It means you look for ways to be a voice for people who could possibly be overlooked, never heard. It means you make sacrifices 
for the sake of the good. Sometimes rage compels us to share things on social media or to gossip with the person down the street. What about a situation at work? What if there was a situation at work that was just not right? Do you respond with rage? Getting one coworker and then another coworker and you lock arms together to form a mob so that you can make things the way you think they ought to be? Or what would it be if you responded differently? What if you responded in love? Being patient, being kind, not being boastful, not insisting on your own way. Looking for ways to serve. Responding to the challenges of this world with rage, we see that happen all the time, all around us. And that is not who we are called to be as the body of Christ. Jesus, long ago, he did not give in to the mob. His mission would not be thwarted by the mob. You and I are called to carry forth his ministry as an act of love. It's not easy. It's incredibly difficult. And yet it is precisely the high calling that Jesus Christ has for us today in this world. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine this new reality? Because you're called to be a part of it. Paul says, when reflecting upon this vision, that faith, hope, and love abide where God's people are. And I know that faith, hope, and love abide within you. I've seen it. And the greatest of these is love. So the challenge for you, for me, for all of us, as we go forward into this day, into this week, and into the rest of our days, respond not with rage, but with love. Respond not with violently gathering together others, but by looking for kind and compassionate ways. Otherwise, you and I may be in jeopardy.